talk to each other and so forth, and we kind of, you know, we size each other up. You kind of have to do that, you know, and we have to judge each other, you know, and things like that, and make sure everybody's okay, and and we, uh, you know, we try not to gossip too much, but, you know, I am going to tell my friends that I was at Brother Philbrick's church, and I heard some shouting and some girls over there lifting up hands and stuff, so uh, I saw quite a lot, and I'm planning to talk about it, so, yeah, so that's good, yeah. No, that was that was great. That was exciting. It's a uh, it's a joy and a privilege and a pleasure to be here. And my wife and I have had a couple of days to come by and uh, visit with Mimi and Hunter and the Philbrick family. These are wonderful people. I love the Philbricks, you know. And uh, they also make really good coffee. So I'm g- probably going to come back, you know, for some of that sometime. You know, that's great. And uh, my oldest daughter is married to a pastor down in the Long Island area, and we're headed there next. She just had a baby. Her fourth, which is my eighth grandbaby, and uh, I'm like, wow. The other the other day, I was playing golf with my my dad, and I play golf once in a while, you know, not enough to be good, but just enough to be bad enough to be embarrassing, you know. Anyway, I was playing golf with my dad, and when I play golf with my dad, my dad's 83 years old, and he has a golfing buddy who's uh, just as old as he is, and they play off of the short tees. If you've ever played, anybody play golf? Just, you know, okay, there's, so you know what I'm talking about, the short tees, you know. Not the ladies' tees, but there's another set of tees, you know. I call them the grandpa tees, you know. They're a little bit shorter than the, uh, than the other tees out there, you know, so you're, and I was playing really well, you know, but I started feeling guilty because I was playing off of the short tees, you know what I mean? Um, and I was, you know, I parred a couple of holes, and I was like, wow, this is really good and better than normal, you know. But I was feeling guilty because I was playing off the short tees, and I called my son, and I said, hey, I'm playing amazing. I'm really scoring well, but I'm feeling guilty because I'm playing off the grandpa tees, you know. You know what he told me? He said, Dad, you have eight grandkids. You're a grandpa. It's okay to play off the grandpa tees. <laughs> So wow, that's amazing, you know. It's amazing how you get old and you don't realize it, you know. And uh, so here I am. So let's pray and we'll dive into the word here this morning. So Father in heaven, Lord, I do thank you and I praise you for these wonderful people and this wonderful church. And I pray that you'd bless it immensely. I pray that you'd continue to make this place a lighthouse for the King of Kings and for the kingdom of heaven and for the word of God and for the gospel. Lord, I pray that uh, you would bless us now and help us to look into the word as we uh, chat about these things. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't understand, I pray that you would open our understanding. And Lord, that's all of us. We don't all completely understand you and your ways, because your ways are far higher than our ways. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us understand a little more than when we walked in today, not because I'm uh, helpful, Lord, but you are. So I pray that the Spirit of God would be our teacher here this morning, and I'll praise your name for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, we'll start in verse number 1. And the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So let me tell you what's going on here real quick and then we'll go on. He's talking about our fathers. He's talking about the children of Israel after they came out of uh, Egypt and they were rescued. Uh, freed from Egypt, and uh, they went through the Red Sea, and he says they were baptized. Really, the, the word means they were immersed in the sea. They went through the middle of the sea. Well, we know that story. They walked through the Red Sea, okay? 
And the word baptism really just it means to be immersed. So they went right through the sea, all right? So he's talking about that story that our fathers, you know, in Moses, they went through the sea and all that, and they were delivered. Then verse number three, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat. Well, we remember they were fed manna and, uh, you know, the quail and things. They all ate that. And then verse number four, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Sounds like the water coming from the rock and so forth from Moses. And then we go on. Uh, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I want to note that right there. When I read the Old Testament, I didn't see his name on that rock. But we find out in the New Testament, the rock was Jesus Christ. That's really interesting. And uh, it's like, uh, you know what? I think I can probably learn something here. And I go on. Verse number five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now that sounds like we know that story. God became not well pleased with them in the wilderness, and many of them died in the wilderness. You know, uh, there were Korah and that crowd, and uh, there were those who died, you know, surrounding different events, but especially when they came to Kadesh Barnea, and they were supposed to cross the Jordan River. And they refused to because they didn't believe God would deliver them. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. So verse 5 again, but... With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Then verse 6, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Okay, now that's interesting. These things were for our examples. And that's what I want to talk about here this morning and uh, really just chat with you all. I know this is a Sunday school hour, so... uh, I'm not going to preach, you know, fire and brimstone like we always have to in church, you know, but I just want to chat with you for a few minutes here in the time that we have, and maybe there's someone here that this would be helpful to as we look at what the Bible is talking about. There might be some of you here today that are wandering in the wilderness. If you remember, the children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years. And, uh, you know, everyone over the age of 20, they died in the wilderness as they were wandering in the wilderness. Well, as I studied and I grew in the Lord and I I began to understand my Bible a little bit, I began to realize that uh, these stories were written for our examples. You know where I got that idea? We just read it. I got that from the Bible. And I had to start thinking about, okay, how does all of that work? I've heard some people say that... uh, Israel in the Bible has been replaced by the church. So, you know, us Christians, we've replaced Israel. That's not, that's not the case. Uh, but rather, um, you know, those stories are written for our examples. And the children of Israel and their life as a nation, it's also not a picture of the church, actually. The nation of Israel... Excuse me. The nation of Israel is very different than the church. They're two entirely different entities. God established the nation of Israel, and he did it in a very unique and special, specific way. He called kings like David and Solomon, you know, and he set up the nation, and he told them this is exactly how things, you're, you don't even count the number of people you have, okay? Later on, though, and he gave them lots of things as a nation. Later on, he set up the church, 
And he did that through Jesus Christ and the death of Christ and then the apostles. And it's the church of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things that he established with the church. And he did a lot of things differently when he established it. So my whole point there is the church and Israel are not equal. They're not the same thing. When you look in the Old Testament, you can take examples and learn things as a church to say, well, they did this. We can learn something for that. Sure. But on the other hand, don't think that the church and Israel are equal because they're not. On the other hand, I do find this. The children of Israel and the nation of Israel, they are a beautiful, biblical, perfect picture of not the church, but of the Christian life. Okay? And if you understand that, then you can understand a whole lot of things in your Bible, and it actually gets really exciting. All right? So, if you know the story of the children of Israel, then you probably know this. They were slaves down in Egypt, right? And the Lord delivered them through the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb. Perfect picture of the Christian. We were in bondage. We were in the bondage of sin. We had absolutely no hope. We were slaves to sin. We had absolutely no hope. And we were freed and rescued, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus. Then we were, we were, uh, we were uh, saved and, and we were redeemed by the blood of the lamb, just like they were. So see, you see how the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, is a beautiful picture of the Christian and the Christian life. What happened after they were removed out of Egypt? Well, then they began crossing over uh, the wilderness. They went to Mount Sinai, and they got some uh, instructions from God, things they were supposed to do. In a short time, some things happened, some events are there, and I'm skipping a lot, of course, you know, but they came up to a place called Kadesh Barnea, and if we had time, we'd go back and read it, you know, in the book of, uh, uh, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers and so forth, and uh, they came to Kadesh Barnea, and you know where Kadesh Barnea is? It's the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan River is, uh, is what? What's it called? Just remind me. I was going really fast, and I shocked you by asking you a question. So, all right, really loud, someone? Canaan. Canaan is a good uh, name for it. What's another name for it? The promised land. Very good. Anybody else know another name for it? There's a lot of names in the Bible for the same place. Any more names? Anybody want to try to give me one from the book of Hebrews? I might have thrown you with that one. The promised land, the, man, the, the land that floweth with milk and honey, that's one. Not from Hebrews, but there's another one in Hebrews I'm coming to. The rest. Yes, from the book of Hebrews, it is the rest. Now, that's really interesting. So my question here this morning for all of you who are believers, who are Christians, and if you're not one, we can help you figure that out. You need to, you need to become a believer first, okay? But if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, my question here for you this morning is have you entered into the promised land or are you wandering in the wilderness? A lot of people think, oh, you get saved and automatically you're in the promised land. It's wonderful, I'm saved, it's glorious. It is glorious and it is wonderful to be saved. That is true. But that's not entering into the promised land if you follow the actual picture and the examples in the Bible. And I believe, and I am totally 100% convinced, and I can prove it if I had time with you this morning, that Christians can wander in the wilderness and not 
enter into the promised land. We can fail to enter into the promised land. And that's my question for you today. Have you entered into the promised land? Um, just to give you an illustration real quick. I, I, I like to hunt deer. I'm not really sure why I like to hunt deer because I don't like to eat them um, because it doesn't taste very good. Uh, one time I shot a deer and it was actually pretty good meat, but usually uh, don't like it. You know. In fact, this last year I shot an eight-point buck and uh, that boy was a monster, you know. And I hope I'm not offending it. Is there any tree huggers here? You want to raise your No, don't raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, hope I'm not offending anybody. But uh, this year I shot an eight-point buck. And you, uh, you deer hunters that are here, you'd probably hate me because I'm the worst deer hunter in the world, you know. I, I went out to my deer stand, and uh, I don't know how they do it in Maine, but in Indiana... We uh, use a deer stand, we sit in the deer stand, and we wait, and it's boring, and it's awful. And eventually, Mr. Buck walks along, and we shoot him, you know. And so, uh, but I'm ter a der terrible deer hunter because a lot of my friends, they'll, they'll sit in their deer stand for five, six hours, you know. And I'm amazed at that because I last for about 20 minutes, and I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. This is crazy, you know. And uh, my patience, uh, I just, it, that's, that's a hard one on me, you know. And I wasn't called to be a deer hunter, so it's okay if I'm impatient hunting deer. Anyway, so uh, I've got to cover myself there with that, if you know what I mean. And so uh, I was in my deer stand uh, this past year, and I was already like, oh, okay, this is so boring. It's driving me crazy. I was only up there for about an hour, you know. I go out in the morning right before uh, dawn, and uh, I wait, you know, and so forth, you know. And I, so I gave up, and I crawled down my deer stand um, crawl down my ladder, and uh, I go down the ladder a little bit, and I look around, you know, I didn't see it, and I go ahead, and I crawl down the rest of, you know, the rest of the way down the ladder, and I thought, well, I'll look around one more time, right, and I turn around, and I look across the uh, cornfield, which I was hunting next to, and uh, this big old eight-point buck is coming right at me, you know, and uh, I'm standing on the ground, right, and uh, I had the opportunity to get that buck, you know, and uh, my son helped me butcher that thing, and uh, the meat's terrible. We haven't eaten any of it. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to do next year because it's fun to hunt deer. But I've actually let deer go because I didn't want to. I look at them and I think, I don't want to gut that thing. I am not shooting. I am not gutting a deer today, you know. So I'm a, I'm a terrible deer hunter. But let me tell you another story that's actually relevant to what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, back in the day, I was never a deer hunter until my son Gabe uh, became a teenager. And when he was about 16 years old, he decided he wanted to hunt deer. And uh, one thing that a good dad does is you get involved with your kids, you know. So I thought, hey, you know, I mean, that sounds fun. I don't know anything about it. So he learned all of my 16-year-old learned how to hunt deer, and he taught me so that I could hunt with him, right? So uh, we went out uh, one of the first times, and uh, uh, we had two deer stands on opposite sides of the woods, okay? Uh, you know, maybe three or 400 yards away. Uh, so we weren't going to shoot each other, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we weren't really communicating. We weren't really together, but we were together on the other hand, right? And, and we had decided what time we would meet up and, you know, and uh, we had decided something like 10 o'clock in the morning. So we went out in the dark and about 10 o'clock in the morning we had decided we would, uh, we'd talk to each other and decide at 10 o'clock whether or not we were going to uh, keep hunting or whatever, Right. And uh, this woods, the, the woods was a very uh, forest, forested area, and the ground was covered with very dry leaves. And one nice thing about that, a frustrating thing about that is you hear every squirrel that moves, and you want to shoot them, because, but you can't, you know, so they drive you crazy. Um, 
But then I'm sitting in my deer stand, and I was very inexperienced. You know, I hadn't hunted deer very much, you know. But I hear the distinct and unbelievable crunch of leaves. And as every good deer knows, he's directly behind me quite a ways, right? So I'm sitting, you know, I've got a tree at my back. I'm up in the air 20 feet, and I've got my gun. And I hear pretty far, but way back behind me, I hear that crunch of leaves. And I'll tell you what happens, you know, I get all emotional, you know. Your heart starts pumping just a little bit. And if you're a deer hunter, you know it's called, they have a thing called buck fever, where your whole body just like goes crazy, you know. And I experienced that actually, you know, where your heart starts beating out. And I heard the crunch of the leaves, and then, you know, what do you do? You freeze. Oh, can't move. Oh, my hip hurts, <laughs> you know. But you can't move now. Because there's a, and it was a big crunch, so it's got to be a big old, and you're envisioning this gigantic buck back there, you know, and that's what I was doing, and my heart started pumping, and I'm starting to breathe really heavy, and I'm thinking, oh, I got to, you know, quit fogging up the area, you know, I'm trying not to breathe, but, uh, you know, you're, it's really nerve-wracking, and this uh, buck is approaching, and I hear the crunch, crunch, and it kind of sounds like, Ch and then it stops, and you got to freeze. And then a minute later, and you're just, you know, it takes forever. You're waiting for this buck to come into sight. I can't get up and turn around. I'll scare him away. All I can do is wait, right? You're just hearing an occasional, Okay, so anyway, I might come back to that story in a minute. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, I'd like to show you something. Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, Let us fear, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. Now, I'll give you the background here. I, I, again, I wish I had time to go through it all, but I don't. Uh, some people teach that a Christian, once you're saved, everything's perfect, you are perfect, automatically, it's kind of like you buy a car, and you have an automatic, uh, automatically, if you buy a car, you get an engine and a transmission, and you get wheels and things, right? But there are also options that you don't always get just because you bought a car, um, the fact is, when you get saved, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, there are some automatic things that you automatically get, like eternal security. You're eternally secure if you've received Jesus Christ. In other words, you have everlasting life that actually lasts forever, and you can't lose it. Uh, you get redemption. You get adoption. You get propitiation and a whole lot of other things. You get all kinds of things automatically. But as you read the Bible... Some people teach you get everything automatically, and therefore, if you sin or you do something wrong, then there's something wrong with you because can't be anything wrong with God, you know. And if everything's not going right, if you oh you call yourself a Christian but everything's not going right, then there must be something wrong with you. But I find out in my Bible that you know what, um, there are things that are not automatic in the Christian life. And that's why he teaches us in the word, and that's why he gives us some warnings. 
And like, here's a warning right here in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should come short of it. So there's something here that we could come short of. Hey, Christian, you could come short of this promise if you're not careful. What's he talking about? Well, again, for the sake of time, let me just cut right to the chase. He's talking about the promised land. And my original question was, have you entered into the promised land? Or are you walking in the wilderness? You say, well, what do you mean? Okay, well, are you, entered, are you, are you walking in the wilderness? Is your life walking in the... A lot of us can easily identify with that. You know, sometimes I kind of uh, go to uh, the wilderness. I enter into some things like uh, depression, disgust, frustration. And when my life is overwhelmed by those kind of things, then it's kind of like I'm walking in the wilderness. You hear the pastor talk about the life that is in Christ, and you're thinking, that's nice, but I don't feel life here in me. My life doesn't look like life. My life looks like death. Do you ever feel like that? And the whole time you're thinking, I thought Christians weren't supposed to feel like I feel. I thought Christians were, I thought God was going to do these incredible things and I wasn't going to have these low times anymore. And you are wandering through the wilderness. And some of you have been wandering through the wilderness for many years. And maybe it's others for many months. Maybe some of you have tasted, but you have stepped away, and you have found yourself wandering in the wilderness, and you're not sure how to get out. What's the, uh, what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is the promised land. You know what the promised land is? Right here, it's talked about the rest. Uh, he said, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should come short of it. And if we had time, we could go back and read Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 3. And he is specifically talking about the children of Israel when God told them to cross over into the promised land. And they said, no, we're not going because there's giants in the land and it's scary. And we don't think you can do it, Lord. And, 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 and God judged them. By the way, an interesting part of that right there in Hebrews chapter 2 he says, they lied to me, and it's specifically the Holy Spirit, by name, talking, to say they, they, they uh, not lied to me, but they denied him, and they did not believe the Holy Spirit. At Kadesh Barnea, the children of Israel, the Holy Spirit told them to cross the Jordan River, and they would not do it because of unbelief. And with that backdrop, understanding, he's been talking about the children of Israel crossing over into the Jordan and that they could have entered into his rest in the promised land. Then he says those words that I've been reading in Hebrews chapter 4, where he says, let us therefore, who's us? Christians, believers, you and I. <laughs> hey, let us therefore also. Uh, fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. So is it possible for a Christian, someone who has received Jesus Christ as their Savior, to wander in the wilderness and not cross over into his rest? I would have to argue, biblically, absolutely it's possible, or he wouldn't have said what he just said. Is that right? 
Okay, now, what would happen, what would keep a Christian um, from walk, what, what would make a Christian walk in the wilderness and not cross over into the promised land? What kind of thing? We could come up with all kinds of sins probably, and that's what my mind would normally do. I would think, okay, if, if someone gets saved, if they're delivered out of Egypt through salvation by the blood of the Lamb, and then they, they cross through the wilderness and God gives them the opportunity, here we go, let's enter into the promised rest. And if a Christian doesn't do that, why? And we think, oh, it's because of sin. And naturally, well, if a Christian's Christian life is not what it ought to be because of sin, then our mind goes to all kinds of sins. And I could go around a room and I could go to every single person and we could name all kinds of sins that would be a problem for a Christian, you know. Someone could say, well, fornication, that's right. If somebody's involved with fornication, that's a sin, that's going to be a problem, right, for the Christian. Christians should not be involved with that. You could say murder or lesser, maybe you could say hatred, right. You could go on, you could say unkindness. Yeah, that's right, that's a sin. You could say envy. Envy is, yeah, could envy be a sin problem? Sure. And every one of us could name a different, we have, a, there's enough sins out there that everyone in the room, we could all name a different sin that could be a problem for a Christian, right? There's all kinds of sin problems for a Christian. So which sin problem is the problem that keeps us out of the promised land? Now, back to my illustration. Remember I was sitting in my deer stand? And I was hearing the unmistakable footsteps in the dried leaves, you know. And my heart was pounding out of my chest. And I'm breathing really heavy and I'm thinking, oh boy, you know. And uh, I've got my gun cocked and ready to go, you know. And it's just, you know, so exciting and so scary and so thrilling and everything all at the same time. And I'm having buck fever like you can't imagine, you know. <laughs> it's, all, it's all crazy. And I had never shot a buck before. And I thought, man, it sounds like a huge buck. It's unbelievable, you know. And after several minutes of all of that, that big old buck came right up behind me, you know. And again, the tree, I can't turn around. I'm just waiting till he comes out to where I can see him and so forth, hoping that he doesn't detect that I'm there. And I hear that. And then out of the stillness and quietness of the early morning woods, I hear, hey, Pop, ready to go? Yeah, my son had decided to give it, cash it in a little early. It wasn't 10 o'clock yet, but he had made his way through the woods, and he was coming up behind my deer stand, and he was kind of poking around the woods as he went, so his, uh, his footsteps, I didn't know deer extremely well in those days especially, and uh, sounded to me like a deer. Yeah, you know what? I was completely wrong. In fact, I would say I was completely deceived because I'm a preacher, and this is an illustration, so I want to use that word. I had accepted a deception that I had a big old buck coming along, and it didn't matter what I believed, because it was wrong. I was wrong. I was deceived. Now, a quick personal testimony, and that is this. I grew up in a wonderful church. I really did. And then I went to a wonderful Christian college. I really did. And I was deceived. And I'll tell you what my deception was. My deception was, okay, I got this Christian life thing. And from what I understand, I've got to do everything right. And if I do everything right and follow all the rules with a pure heart, then 
God will like me. God will bless me. And I can enter into the great Christian life because I see there's some people out there that have something that I don't. Like Hudson Taylor. You know, I'm not Hudson Taylor. Um, you know, name some other incredible Christians. Pastor Mark Philbrick, there's one, you know. I'll never be like him. You, you might know some Christians that just glow. You probably don't know a lot of them because there's not a lot of them around. But there are some believers that just have that. They, you talk to them and they say things like, praise God because of what he's done. And you think, I never say that. And you think, why do they glow with the love of Jesus Christ? I've got the same Bible they do. In fact, I used to sit there and get mad. <laughs> that shows you where, how bad off I was. You know, why, you, know what, you know why that would make me angry? Because I would sit there and I would think, look, I was in the nursery at the best church in Indiana. I mean, I, would, I played in the nursery. I grew up in a really good church. I went to a Bible college. I have a Bible degree. I know, the better, I know the Bible 10 times better than that guy does, but he loves the Lord and he's happy about it. And I wasn't. And I didn't say those things out loud, of course, because people would not, you know, understand. And of course they didn't. And when I talked to my wife, she knew I didn't understand, right? And I've got to hurry here, and I wish I could tell you more, but the fact is I was deceived. Just like thinking, you know, I, I thought that was a buck coming that I was going to get to shoot. I was completely deceived. Let me tell you something. As a young believer, here was my deception. I thought, okay, we're, we're, we're supposed to enter into the promised land, right? So if I do everything right, maybe he'll let me in and I can be one of those happy Christians. If you look in your Bible with me. Hebrews chapter 4, again, verse number 1. Now back up two verses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. And to whom swear he, that is the Holy Spirit, he swear that they should not enter into his rest. Who was that? The children of Israel who would not cross the Jordan River and they died in the wilderness for 40 years. But to them that believed not, so let me read that again. And to, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You know what it takes to cross the Jordan River? Faith. And all those sins we thought of, oh, if you do this sin, that keeps you in the wilderness. Well, yes and no, not really. The sin that keeps you in the wilderness is unbelief. It's actually the only sin that keeps you in the wilderness. You say, well, I thought fornication was really bad. Yeah, if you're involved with that kind of sin, it's because of unbelief. You don't believe God is enough, so you go after your sin instead. Well, I'm just an angry man. You don't understand. I just have anger, and my dad had anger, and I'm Irish, you know, or something. Yeah, that's unbelief. You won't cross the Jordan River into the promised land and enter into his rest because you don't believe he's enough. And you can cross the Jordan River, and you can. these things were written for our examples. And we can literally enter into the promised land in the joy of the Lord 
You say, well, I don't do everything right. I didn't ask you if you do everything right. I don't either. And that super Christian that you think is greater than everything, he doesn't do everything right either. And that's law. And yeah, we should, we should have goal of doing better, but uh, you know we can do better through faith. And you can cross the Jordan. Were the children of Israel great godly people when they finally crossed the Jordan River? Actually, they weren't, if you study the story. <laughs> they actually were not. But they believed and they obeyed and they did some things right because of faith. And when they finally got faith, and I'm not talking about saving faith. You were saved a long time ago, remember? But you've been walking through the wilderness because of unbelief. And he wants you to cross over today and enter into the promised land and enter into his rest. And you can do that just like getting saved. In the book of Colossians, it says, just as you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, so walk in him. I didn't quote that perfectly, but that's, that's the gist in Colossians chapter 2. It, we can enter into his rest by faith. And then we can walk in faith, and we can walk in the, in, in the rest, in the promised land. So if you find yourself today walking in the wilderness, or you've been deceived... Let me tell you, there is hope, and it's not over. And the promised land is still there, and it's still available. The promised land is not heaven someday. It's the life of Jesus Christ today, and it's the joy of the Lord today. So I'd encourage you today, enter into his rest, and that's our goal. So Father in heaven, Lord, I do 